Shit We've Read is brought to you by Oblivion Geeks in partnership with Bilo Network. Please visit shitweavered.com to support the show. Now, let's talk about some books. Hello and welcome to Shit We've Read, a sci-fi fantasy book podcast. I am your host, Laura Benson, and I'm here with my co-host, Jason Rico. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. And then I am really excited to introduce our very first guest host, our amazing friend, Emma Skies. How's it going? It's going great. I feel very excited to be your first guest host. I'm just going to forever hold this. Every time that you have anybody on, like if you get really cool authors on this at some point, I'll also be like, mm, but I was the first one. <laughs> you will have that title for sure. No one can take it from me. You are the bar that they're all held to. <laughs> I'll make sure it's very high. <laughs> well, we're we're definitely happy to have you. Um, so we we know you through um, some mutual friends before you log off. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you if if any of our listeners haven't looked into before you log off yet, um, they also have a podcast called um, Bilo Watch, which has Emma on it as one of the hosts. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it, really quick? Yeah, so Bilo Watch, which technically now that we've done two of them is a series, um, started with a podcast we called Dust Watch, um, and then we just did another one called Grisha Watch, and essentially um, Aaron doesn't read, or doesn't read books, uh, and I read a lot of books, so we basically go into a TV show adapted from a book, he goes in completely blind, I don't let him watch the trailers, I don't tell him anything about the book, and then we dissect the TV show from the perspective of somebody who has absolutely no idea what's going on, and somebody who has a little bit too much of an idea what's going on. Uh, so that's been really fun. We did the first one with uh, His Dark Materials on HBO, which is the uh, His Dark Materials books, the Golden Compass books, and then recently we did Shadow and Bone on Netflix. Uh, so that's been a lot of fun. And then we have another one coming up in June that I don't think we've announced yet, hey. so keep an eye out for that. So shortly after this releases. So that'll be cool. Good time. Oh my God, it's almost June. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus <Yep>. Christ. <laughs> well, we're excited to have you on. We are going to talk about the book, The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet by Becky Chambers. Um, before we get into all the nitty gritty of that, I, I first wanted to ask both of you guys, what is some of the shit you have read or are currently reading? Emma, you can go first. Oh, okay. So I these days I don't generally read more than one book at a time. I kind of try to keep it one at a time, but I did break my rule for this. I paused my current book to read uh, our current uh, The Long Way to a Small Anger Planet. But I've been reading Gideon the Ninth for a book club that I host. Uh, that's been... I'm finally getting to a point in it where I'm really enjoying it, but it is a little bit hard to get into. Uh, and then what did I just read? I just, why is, as soon as I read something and I start something else, it is gone from my mind. I know I just read Shadow and Bone for that podcast, and then it's going to bother me as soon as I stop talking, I'll be like, oh, that's what the book I read was. <laughs> but anyway, Gideon the Ninth is the short answer. <laughs> okay. That's on my list still. I'm, I, I do plan to hopefully get to it soon. What about you, Jason? Before we jump to what I'm reading, I have read Gideon the Ninth. I have opinions about it, so I'd be very curious to hear what you think of it once you're finished. But uh, <laughs> anyhow, um, the last thing I read was Spells Trouble by PC Cast and Kristen Cast. 
Um, it's the, it's not out yet. I think it releases next month. Could be wrong about that. Um, I read an arc for it. It's the first book in a series um, called uh, Sisters of Salem, Two Twin Witches. Um, oh, I don't know how to say without giving too much away. Uh, anyhow, it's Spoilers. yeah, young adult uh, fantasy magic. Reminded me a lot of Practical Magic meets Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Oh, interesting. That's okay. a ship I somehow always made. I never got into Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and I'm at the point in my life where I feel like it's too late. I feel like I've missed the boat, and I can't do it anymore. Look, they're making a TV adaptation of it, so I think that is your way on the boat. Hey. That's fair. No, that's a very fair point. <gasps> and then I can segue that into another Bilo watch exactly. series. Ooh. Oh, exactly. okay. Here we go. Around. Nope, that's it. I'm back on the boat. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to hearing that that podcast yeah. thing. <laughs> so that's the last thing I've read, uh, and the next thing I'm going to read um, as soon as we're done with this episode is the the ones we're meant to find by Joan He, I believe. Uh, young adults, sci-fi. So pretty. Yeah, I just released earlier this month very very pretty book uh i got my owl crate edition i think emma i think you did too you also have owl crate i'm obsessed with owl crate i got it too oh my god um so yeah that's gonna be the next book i'm gonna read i'm very excited about that Uh, i heard a lot of good things about it so excited to dive into that nice um I just read Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Booley a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's not something that I generally read. It was a, it's like a mystery kind of, yeah, mystery. Um, but it was interesting because it, it follows a, a biracial, it says a biracial unenrolled tribal member. So she's an 18 year old girl who's, Native American, but not enrolled. And so it's kind of following her, her, um, it's following her story through a murder mystery, basically. And just kind of what she deals with, um, being a Native American, um, which is supposed to be very much based on real life. So there's some very heartbreaking things that she experiences, but it was very eye opening. Um, so I definitely recommend that book to anyone um, interested in it. Firekeeper's Daughter. So, but I am excited to probably jump into Addie Larue next. Oh my god! <laughs> you have to give me like play by plays um, for listeners. I am obsessed with this book. Addie Larue was the first book I read this year in January. There has not been a single day that has gone by that I have not thought about this book. So if you're reading it, I need to know everything. I will I will keep you updated for sure. That <laughs> uh, you guys can't hear it if you can't see it if you're listening, but uh Jason and Laura, you can both see that shelf right there. All five of those are Addie LaRue. You do have a lot of additions. <laughs> I feel like that's probably gonna end up being me with um the ones we're meant to find. Oh yes. <laughs> I have Jason uh, on the lookout to see if I can buy an Alcree edition. Um, and then I just bought the Barnes & Noble edition, and I still might buy the regular edition because I like the blue hardcover. <laughs> Me too. I thought the Barnes & Noble edition was the regular one, and then I saw somebody post their blue hardcover, and I was like, 
where do I find that? And I guess it's literally anywhere else. Yep. Yep. That is correct. (laughs) But you have a very beautiful Addie LaRue shelf. It's very pretty. (laughs) Um, Let's jump into our book. Let's do it. Let's go. Yeah. So again, the title of this month's book is The Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, which was actually um, a Kickstarter-funded book um, by Becky Chambers. It was released in 2014. Uh, It is... The first book um, out of four, and it looks like a novella. So we're only reading the first one for the podcast. Uh, This is a science fiction space opera and very much LGBTQ as well. The series is also a Hugo Award winner, so that's kind of cool. For anyone who doesn't know much about this book, I'm going to read the The synopsis from Goodreads, it says, follow a motley crew on an exciting journey through space and one adventurous young explorer who discovers the meaning of family in the far reaches of the universe in this lighthearted debut space opera from a rising sci-fi star. Rosemary Harper doesn't expect much when she joins the crew of the aging Wayfarer, an introspective young woman who learned Early to keep to herself, she's never met anyone remotely like the ship's diverse crew, including Sissix, the exotic reptilian pilot, chatty engineers Kizzy and Jenks, who keep the ship running, and Ashby, their noble captain. Life aboard the Wayfarer is chaotic and crazy, exactly what Rosemary wants. It's also about to get extremely dangerous when the crew is offered the job of a lifetime— but risking her life wasn't part of the plan. To survive, Rosemary's got to learn how to rely on this assortment of oddballs, an experience that teaches her about love and trust, and that having a family isn't necessarily the worst thing in the universe. Aww. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do some non-spoiler stuff. For anyone who hasn't read it and wants to read it, we don't want to spoil a lot of details. Um... I want to know. Let's start. Let's start with Jason this time. What What were your thoughts on this book? I uh, I liked it overall. Um, it wasn't as action heavy as maybe I thought it would be. Um, it was very much about characters and relationships, um, which for some reason um, I feel it's kind of rare in sci fi. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like a lot of sci-fi, especially space sci-fi, is very much about uh, the science. And uh, at least for me, I read a lot of hard sci-fi, which is all about the science and the math behind things. And it's more about that than it is the people. Um, so I really like the fact that it was about people and uh, what makes these people tick, how they get along with each other. Uh, I love the fact that there were alien species. Like that is by far like my favorite kind of space sci-fi. Like if you're going to be in space, give me some aliens. Um, the, the one note I put in the book, like overall was like, this is the future liberals want. And, and <laughs> yeah. we could touch upon that a little bit okay, as we go, yeah. but like, I was just reading things. I'm like, God, there's a lot going on in here that I personally like, but I was like, I'm absolutely here for yeah. that. <laughs> That's a good point. I did not think about it, but that's very true. I could see the, I could see the way that it would work that way. <laughs> yeah. So overall, I like it cool okay what about you emma i know that um 
You are not generally a sci-fi reader, so this was a little different for you. It was. I we've talked about this before that like I want to get into reading more sci-fi. Um, I have a handful on my shelf, but like I am massively dominated by fantasy. Uh, I think this is a really good entry point for anybody wanting to get into sci-fi, specifically for like what Jason said. Like it's very character driven. It's super character driven. Where like. It's almost like the sci-fi aspect or like the space technical aspect is almost the backdrop to the main story and the main story is the characters, Um, which can be a good or a bad thing. In this case, I think it worked really well because all the characters are really good. Like they're like I actually cared a lot about them. Um, uh, I you guys both know this, but I read 60 percent of the book today. uh, And it's it (laughs) makes for like a really compelling read. Like there was no point where I felt bored like I literally sat in one spot for five hours and read the you know second half of this book and it just keeps you going like there's no point where it felt too slow or it felt too technical or felt too bogged down by anything Uh, but at the same time like I didn't feel like I was missing out on a whole lot like only having the characters there I think it worked really really well well I'm glad that you liked it then I was worried (laughs) I like sci-fi and like I love sci-fi in movies and TV shows. I just have never gotten too much into it in books. Um, So I'm really like it's part of what I have been wanting to branch out of. It's like, oh, yeah, they write books that aren't just like magic and elves and shit. I should probably see what that's all about. (laughs) I will totally admit I told Laura we need to make uh, Emma read a sci-fi book because we need to bring out of our element. Like whether she loves loves it or hates it, I think it's going to be a good conversation. But we need to make her read a sci-fi book. To my credit, to my own credit, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars was like one of my favorite books that I read last year. Although also a good entry level for me because it's by a fantasy author, but it counts. It counts, technically. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I am pretty much in in the same line as you guys. I I really liked it overall. There was a lot um, of, of positive things happening in it and... At the same time, a lot of not very positive things, but they made you think and draw parallels to things in our own world. Um, so I thought it was a it was a really good, a really good book overall. Um, and and it was different for me too in that it was so very character driven. I'm not used to that in sci fi at all. I'm used to way more, you know, crazy action and space fights and pew, pew. stuff like that. So. <laughs> So it was different, but I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it for sure. Um, okay, well, there's there's a lot of detailed stuff to get into. So we're going to jump into spoilers. So if anybody um, is planning to read it and doesn't want any details, log off now and then come back once you've read it um, to join the conversation. All right, so spoilers starting now. I actually wanted to start this off really quick with a really – Really quick little question. Are you are you team mech, happy tea, or boring tea? Where's team water? Where's that team? <laughs> I don't drink tea or alcohol, so I'm screwed. Like, I drink alcohol, but, like, I don't seek it out. <laughs> they drink water, too. That's a thing. Does that make me boring well, tea? Well, I'm on mech boring tea. is their equivalent of coffee, right? I think so. They kept talking about how it makes them fuzzy, though. They were like, you only get one cup because you're not coming back if you're fuzzy-headed. So I assumed it was alcoholic. I thought it was just the caffeine content. Like, you can't have more than a couple cups of coffee in a day or else you just get really wired. Because and- it makes you jitty. Yeah. 
Makes Isn't that jittery. the happy tea though? No, happy tea was just caffeinated. And then tea. when they do have, they do actually have regular coffee at one point, so it's different. I from noticed that. that. That's why I was really what confused. The heck? What I don't know Meg what it, anything is anymore. I think I, I think Mech is supposed to be coffee. Mech's like a four loco, right? You <laughs> right, get the it's both. And the alcohol. There we go. You have one, and you're it's your coffee with Bailey's. <laughs> well, which one are you, Jason? Man, if Mech is the alcohol, then I might change my mind. No, I'm 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 happy tea. I I am uh, by far a tea drinker. Um, I like I like herbal teas, but Earl Grey is like my go-to kind of tea. Um, good caffeinated tea makes me happy. Therefore, I am happy tea. Wow, so poetic. <laughs> How about I you? Actually, huh? How about you? Where are you at? Oh, I, you know what? I, for a while, I was going back and forth between the happy tea and boring tea because I really like some of the herbal flavors, but I'm most likely going to pick something that's caffeinated. So I, I'd say happy tea. <laughs> they also but, have fizz uh, at one point, which I'm assuming is like their version of soda. Yes. That's kind of what I got. In to. which case I'm in that camp. As I sit here with my bottle of soda that I keep drinking from, hoping my mic isn't picking up. <laughs> You're fine. Um, well, none of us picked picked Mech then, so my next question doesn't really <laughs> well, apply. Well, before you jump to that, I will say my answer might be slightly biased, only uh, because um, I've recently been going through some of the Star Wars Extended Universe books, and in the last two series, they've been mentioning calf a lot which is their version of coffee, calf, like caffeine. It's just called calf. Can you get you a oh, cup of calf? Okay. But they mention it like 20 times a book. And it's like, do you, do you have nothing else to drink in this universe? And so like the mention of calf drives me crazy. And so when I saw Mech, it's like, oh, this is just calf again. So they do talk about it quite a yeah. lot. It yeah. does come up a lot. <laughs> It really triggered does. by coffee now. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Look, everybody okay. in that universe is real tired. Okay. There's yeah, a lot like, of shit going I mean, on. They do have so different you, time. Like they have like ten days, and their days are what not twenty four hours. Are they longer? I think. Yeah, it, it was something like standard standard days, and then Earth days or something like that. So I was hoping so. that they would eventually go into like a little bit of how that split up because they kept talking about they were people had to convert standard time to like galactic commons time, mm, which makes right. sense that like if you're in that federation, there is one standardized time period, um, even though you're all on different planets that have like different orbital patterns and thus your years and days are different. But th like it never really talked about the difference. Like I couldn't tell is one which one's longer, which one's shorter. They would have to keep converting into like standard years, like ages and things. Um, but yeah, and then 10 days, which was another one that like, I think that's kind of what clued me into the fact that whatever she was doing with info dumping or world building was going really well because she never had to explain what a 10 day was. But we all caught on to yeah. the fact that like that's a week, like that's their version of like a week. I think the only reference that really kind of gave a little bit more hint to how the timing worked was um, almost halfway into the book when they were um, visiting Kizzy's friends. Um, one of them said something like, um, I bought this place about five years back. That's what uh, 
about three standards or something. Never can remember GC time. Fair. (laughs) But I don't know what years, how years work on that planet either. So I just tried to keep that in the back of my mind as I continued reading. But I was like, dang. Five and I feel years very is three standards. Yeah, I felt like very ethnocentric because like every time they would talk about standard, I would assume Earth. I was like, oh, standard Earth because I'm an Earth person reading this. But then I think about the fact that like they don't give a shit about humans or people from Earth. Like we were not there at the beginning. So it's obviously not us. And then I was just lost again. I was like, all right, I'm just going to not worry about time pa- time periods here. <laughs> it got a little weird, but, uh, you know, we you figure it out as you go. <laughs> Um, well, so, so we, we mentioned, you mentioned the world building. Um, this book has a lot of world building, world building as in like universe building. Um, do you, do you think that she wrote this well? Was, was it a right, the right amount? Was it too much? Yeah, I, uh, I think the author did a really good job of um, giving us a lot of terms and a lot of clues as to how the universe works and what's included in this universe without having to spell it out for us. Um, Like the one term that comes to mind was grounders, which I believe meant people who lived on the planet as opposed to the humans that lived and were born in space or outside of earth. Um, yeah, like grounders versus spacers. Yeah, so, so that was just a term, and she, and she never really explained what it meant, but you kind of pick up the fact that this world has all these terms, it has its own uh, ways of measuring time and days and weeks, um, and really kind of laying on the, all these nuggets that really make the universe feel thought out, which for me, reading a fantasy or a sci-fi, um, is always one of the things I look at. It's like, does this universe feel like she like the author really thought it out or is this kind of lazy and i feel like the author put a lot of thought into building the different species and the way these species work like the sociology of them fam familial units uh relationships between different species um all that kind of stuff i, I just felt like it was really good yeah i feel like the interspecies relationships were like really where this shined because it was it was more than just, oh, this race doesn't like this race or this race gets along with this race. Like she had the sociological implications built into each race as to why that would not make them mesh well with another society or why it would make them mesh really well. Uh, like she went really hard and heavy into how they all worked and how they worked together and where they didn't work together and like things that they had to overcome in that way. And like, that makes it sound like the whole thing is super like politics heavy and it's still really not like, it Mm -hmm. still just feels like you're reading about individual people and their cultures um, without reading too much into like the political ramifications of everything, even though that's very much there, it doesn't necessarily feel like that the whole time. Yeah. I thought that um, it's funny because it's like, um chambers like peppered in exposition through the entire book but you didn't always realize that you were reading it because it was so well hidden in dialogue and um per different the different perspectives um and you it was just so easy to pick up on these different things as we were reading and learning through um, and it didn't feel like it was heavy in one place. It was it was just nicely spread out, and you only learned it when you needed to learn it. 
Yeah, exactly. So you guys also mentioned the different species and cultures. Um, I think I, I agree in that that was one of the things that really stood out the most to me was these very diverse characters um, and how all all the genders were represented, sexual orientations, relationships. Um, there was so much in here um, that that she really wrote quite well. Did you did either of you have any particular favorite out of all of those, any favorite culture or, or character? I love the Andrists. They were by far my favorite yep. culture. Um, like I could personally do without the like public open sex all the time. Like I could maybe do without that <laughs> part of it. But I think what really clicked it for me is um, when she started talking about their familial units, like the difference between hatch family, feather family, and egg family. I want to say, what did I feel like I'm messing up the third one. Hatch family. House family. Feather house family, thank you. House family. house family is the third one. Um, it was funny because, like, as I was reading, I was just like, you know, as somebody who doesn't want and or particularly like children, this speaks to me. <laughs> I was like, and, and they were easily my favorite. Sissix was probably my favorite of the crew members, mm-hmm. but like, she went really, really like there was a lot of thought into how their culture works, and that stood out a lot. Yeah, what I loved about the Andrus was is. Chambers was explaining this culture and how they have these different types of families. And, and it seems kind of alien if you think about it, but also it's very much the way humans function anyway. Like you have the family you're born into and sometimes you like that family. Sometimes you don't, sometimes it's complicated. And then eventually when you get older, you, you make your own family, friends, you know, loved ones, your partners, you, you, that found family. And then eventually when you get to a point in your life where you're ready to build a family, you know, you decide whether or not you want to have kids or it's just your partner you and you want to travel the world, whatever, that's your house family. So it's it's these things that humans do naturally that she was applying to this alien species, um, which I really, really liked. Uh, it made a lot of sense. The fact that you can like have a kid, but you're not at that point of your life where you're ready to have kids. And so it's like, well, why should I have to raise this kid? This child should go to people who are wiser and old enough in that point in their life where they can raise a kid like that made so much sense and i just feel like honestly humanity might be in a better place if we adapted some of these things Emma, like you said the public sex things a little more complicated a little <laughs> more not, weird but you know not really for that's, everyone. <laughs> that's just our own personal biases as humans so you do you what about you laura where, where was your favorite species honestly i i think i'm I'm gonna say the same thing. It was it was just fascinating the the relationships and how they changed so easily and how it was just accepted. When you moved on to the next family, it was just normal. Um, and then you know how six 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 I can't even say her name six. You discover that her feather family is the crew, um, which was just. Like it was so heartwarming and amazing. I was like, "Oh, she she made her family officially not part of her species. That's amazing. That is that is a perfect example of I make my own family." Um, and I think we can probably all connect to that in in some 
way of, of some point in our life where we had to decide, um, you know, who was going to be close to us that way. So, um, I think I, I really enjoyed learning about their culture. Um, and I loved that we actually got to go to their planet and see how they interact with each other. Um, instead of just having them talk about it. So I think that makes sense. It's like why we all kind of latched onto them as the best species in the book too. Cause like she clearly spent the most time on them and like being able to go to their home world. Like that makes sense that we all kind of latched mm-hmm. onto them as the best one. But that was probably um, speaking of feather families, like one of the only things that I really wanted out of the book that I didn't get was I really wanted to see her present a feather to Rosemary at some point. Like as soon as they brought up, like Rosemary asked mm. what was going on and like, you know, uh, Kizzy explains and she's like, Oh yeah, we all kind of have one from her at this point. Like after they were boarded by pirates and like Rosemary talked that shit down, I was like, Oh, she's for sure going to get a feather. No, did not get one. <laughs> what? Where's my feather? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a I mean there's there's more books after this. That's fair. If <laughs> Rosemary does not get a feather in the next three and a half books, so help me. <laughs> um, we'll write a strongly worded letter. <laughs> I thought it was interesting too with I mean specifically like with um their relationship. We'll just just put it out there. Sissix and, we and there? Rosemary well, it, it, it connects. <laughs> they're in they're in a, some kind of relationship arrangement. Um, but when they're talking about it before they make this decision, um, you know, Sissix had said something to the effect of like, um, you know, if if I decide that I want to be with someone else or I need to be with someone else or something like you have to be okay with that. And she's like, yeah, I'm fine with that. And I thought that was kind of interesting too, because it, it plays into the, um, like the open relationships or even polyamorous in, in terms of like how their culture is, um, accepting that sometimes, um, people, uh, want to be with other people for whatever reason. Um, and I think they also talk about that, like when they're just, like, they're talking about Corbin and Ashby, She's like, I don't, I don't like Corbin, but I understand Ashby needs him. Right. So I accept it. Um, So I thought that was kind of cool that we went into that a little bit about just relationships, whether it's being together or just being around the same people. It's, it's figuring out how to make these different relationships work, even if you don't exactly mesh. Yeah, I really like that because, because most people have family members that you don't get along with the best, but you understand yeah. that they're part of your family or, you know, if they're married to somebody in your family, they're important to them. And so they're part of your family, whether you want it or not. Um, so you like the fact that Sissix had that like knowledge of like, look, I don't like this guy. I could lose him in a heartbeat, but he's part of the family, like it or not. So I'm going to do what I got to do for him. Yeah, which I feel like is very much how the reader ends up feeling about Corbin, too. And one of the things that I was thinking about when like we keep talking about how this is like such a character driven story, it's all about the characters, you have all these different perspectives, um, and whether that can work or not work. And I realize one of the reasons it works so well is I think she structures it in a way 
that you're always reading about somebody that you care about and somebody that like you want to know. Like there's no point where like I was reading about somebody for so long and I was like, just move on. Or like I wanted to get to a certain character and it wasn't getting to them, which I think happened a lot um, for me. And like in Game of Thrones, it happened a lot. Um, where like they would, they would just avoid a character for so long. And I'm like, I only want to know what this one is. But she always seemed to have the character that you wanted to be reading about that always made sense in the timeline. And she almost never focused on Corbin, who was like the only one that I think we would have been like, okay, I'm, I don't want to read about this guy anymore. But there's only like a few, there's like two or three prominent Corbin sections and they all make sense. And other than that, she leaves him the fuck alone. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah, we we definitely focus on a, on more of the characters, more of the other characters than on Corbin. But what we did get made sense to the story, to who he is, and and to his relationship with everyone else. Um, I was so ready to love before- Corbin. Like I really wanted to love Corbin more than I did because when they first introduce him, like this, it says Corbin hated people but he loved his work and he was damn good at it. And right away is like, okay, this is like the human suck. Leave me to my science trope. You know, there's so many characters. It's like, I don't like humanity. I don't relate to it. I'm going to study my plants. I'm going to study my technology. And a lot of times these characters are some of the best because you, on some level, you kind of relate to them because like, yeah, people suck sometimes. Um, so I wanted to see more yeah. of Corbin, honestly, but also the way Chambers wrote him was like, yeah, he's kind of a dick though. Like not like, like a good redeemable kind of dick just yeah he's just kind of a jerk so like just an asshole for the sake yeah, of being an asshole be. yeah <laughs> so i i think we can say right off the the top there that we see firefly in this very much right the tv show I've firefly i've never seen firefly oh my gosh emma <laughs> What? Oh my gosh, Jason, you are both. I am disowning you right now. I watched Serenity, the movie. Does that count? That's close. Yeah, yeah. But yeah that's fine. You, but, but you, I know so the, then I know if the you've crew. seen, I know, I know, if yeah. you've seen the movie, yeah. Um, so their their characters and the relationships and stuff that they have, I feel like um, Becky Chambers probably got a lot of inspiration from Firefly for this. Um, so when I started reading it, uh, when I when we when I got to Corbin. I immediately connected him to Jane Cobb. They're not the same character only in that they, they are only the same character and that they are both assholes. <laughs> but I kept seeing this like angry, uh, confrontational person every time uh, Corbin was in the scene. <laughs> every crew needs an asshole. Because I always smile Jane. and nod like I know who that is. Yep, totally. Jane Cobb, absolutely, 100%. <laughs> he's, he's He's the weapons yeah, no, expert in Firefly. <laughs> Every crew needs an asshole. Like if you break down any That's true. group on sci-fi, there's always that one guy who's kind of an asshole. <laughs> Wait a minute. If we're talking though about what we if like what we see each character as, um, have you guys seen Titan AE? Yes. Okay, so in my like whatever, um, Ohan is Gru. Okay. And yeah. Sissix is the kangaroo-looking alien that I cannot remember the name of. But, like, I don't know what it was, because Sissix is not, like, described as a kangaroo-looking person. But for whatever reason, I was just like, that's who this is. That's who this I is. was thinking that, too. <laughs> yes. I was. <laughs> Jason. <laughs> uh, I think I've seen it many, many years ago, but I don't remember anything about it. So just, <laughs> wow. just let me out of this. Wow. I am 0 for 2. 
this conversation. So <laughs> that's next, a good next, movie. Next I'll one, just guys. Say that. I'll, I'll, I'll know the um, next one. So, so we're talking about characters, the characters already. So, what, what are you, what was your thought on the the Motley crew? Is is what the author called it? Like the crew itself. Did you like the characters? Did you have a favorite? I think Emma, you, I think you said which, who was your favorite just a minute ago. I love Sissix. Sissix might be my favorite. It's either Sissix or Kizzy is my favorite. Okay. They're very much tied. They all, I mean, they all mesh really well together. They all have really distinct personalities. They're all written very well from their own perspectives. Um, and just, I feel like I need to say Jenks just because we have not mentioned Jenks once at this point, And I feel like he needs to be mentioned <laughs> and lovey. Like they just all, they all work so well. I love a good ship AI. So like I was immediately, as soon as they introduced lovey, I was like, I'm going to like you. I am going to lovey, lovey. Gonna, it's gonna be great. Um, but yeah, I think probably Sissix or Kizzy would be my favorites. Although Rosemary, very much. Am I just gonna name Everybody, all the women? What else? Ashby, you, it, you loved Ashby. It, I do love Ashby. I do. <laughs> uh, the you know, the did, one you did, left did, off that I really like was Doctor Chef. I love Doctor yeah, Chef. Yeah, Doctor Chef. We haven't mentioned him he, at all. He, I think he's my favorite, my second favorite character. Uh, I love like just how uh, I mean every every crew needs that like that wise person you go to right like that bartender person you can just go and talk to and that's Doctor Chef and I loved how excited he got with Rosemary's name he was like oh you you know what does your name mean oh, it's an herb oh herbs like I just learned about herbs and all this stuff I was like oh my god Doctor Chef I fucking love you. <laughs> I feel like he's a great mix because the trope is always that like the person that's going to be your like go to emotional support is always either going to be like the bartender, the cook or the doctor. And she was like, but what if he was both? both? And then we named him Dr. Chef. Chef. Boom. I loved that. Sold. And she wrote it so well. It made sense. At first I was like, that doesn't make sense. Why is he both? But then the more you got to know him, it's like, oh, that. That makes sense why he can do both. That's okay. I like this. <laughs> oh, and then you get his backstory. Yeah. I did oh. not expect that man to make me cry. I was sitting in my backyard just crying on my security cameras. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my God. And what I loved about his his uh, his species, the Grum, is I think he said that they all, everybody starts off mm-hmm. uh, female. And then when you get old enough, they become male. And um, I love that. I think it makes, I think humanity would be so much better off if we all started female and then became male later on. Because I don't disagree. Because I think you would just lose a lot of the asshole guys. (laughs) You know, because you would understand. You would understand what it was like to be a woman at some point. And so in theory, you would stop being an asshole. I guess, do you think that in a in a society where everyone starts on one end of the gender, you know, at this point, they, they clearly have some sort of gender binary. So where everybody starts on one end of a gender binary and then moves naturally to the other, do you think that negates any possibility of sexism in a culture? Or does it just become ageism? Ooh. Ooh. Does sexism That's still a exist in a culture like that? I, um, and then do you have people that try to fight the change? Why am I thinking about this now? Where am I going mm, with this? No, that's a very good, good question, question, Emma. I would say realistically there would still be some sexism, but it might come more from like, I know what it was like to be a woman. You know, like I was dumb or I was this or I blah, 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 blah. And so you would project that onto 
other people who are now that gender when maybe it isn't warranted. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. you're just projecting their own experience yeah, as yeah. that gender. Yeah. And then it just becomes more of like an age thing right, at that yeah. point of like, huh? I guess, it, I guess in that cult, in that way, it probably would technically be an ageism thing. Can you imagine like the most like gruff, terrible old dude politician just standing at a podium like when i was a young woman back in my day oh man that'd be wild (laughs) well we pretty much listed like almost every character that we liked but except for except for uh ohan ohan was very interesting yeah I have a hard time picturing what he, what they look like. I'm just going with Gru. So I don't know. If, <laughs> I think Laura might know this. I don't know if Jason knows. So I have, uh, I have a Fantasia, which I don't know if I, I've mentioned before. I have no visual imagination. That's right. So I can't like, which is why like I connect it to characters I've already seen. I'm like, okay, he's Gru because I've seen that. I know what that looks like. Or like she's the kangaroo. Like I've seen that. I know what that looks like because I can't imagine what they look like. So I'm just like, whatever's on the page, I'm like, yeah, no, that's 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 about right. That's it. That works. <laughs> okay, that, that makes it a little harder. I I just remember Ohan is supposed to be walking on all fours, and oh, yeah. they have blue fur that they uh, shave designs and symbols or something into it. But that's all that I really remember. <laughs> That's about but right. It sounds yeah. fascinating. Um, is there fan art for this? We should have looked up fan art. I I've saved some, but I don't remember what any of the artists made them look like. That's fair. Though I I don't know. Technically, Ohan now is he. I think. Yeah. Yes. Um. But that's a good question. We'll have to look into that. Um. I, I well, I wanted to ask you guys. Obviously, we like all of the crew at this point, but did you have a particular character that you actually connected with on your own? Like, just as you, who did you connect with the most? I have the most boring answer. <laughs> it's Rosemary. <laughs> the, like, small human. She's, like, the one that's just most like us. She's the human that has no idea where her place is in this, like, crew full of aliens and this big, giant universe around her. And, like, just wants to get away from home and leave and just be anywhere else but Mars. I was like, no, that's that's about right. That's about right. I mean, she's a she's a surrogate. She's the the audience surrogate. Right. So it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Um, there's there's parts of myself that I see in different members of the crew. Um, I will say Corbin's one of them. Because I tend to get really annoyed at stupid little shit. And I know I get annoyed at stupid little things. Doesn't stop me from getting annoyed, though. Um, and so when he's getting upset, of like, Rosemary, you bought the wrong adapter thing or whatever. It's like, it wasn't a big deal, but oh, it's annoying sometimes. So I got it. Um, <laughs> I like Jenks. I don't know if I necessarily relate to him, but there was there was something about him connecting with the artificial intelligence 
that mm-hmm. I kind of liked. It was like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It was like kind of like the other side of the coin of Corbin, where Corbin thinks all humanity sucks. I just want to work on my plants. Jenks to me was kind of like, well, not that all humanity sucks, but there's a perfection that I haven't found yet in humanity. I can only find it in this artificial person. Um, and there's something. You're so poetic tonight, Jason. <laughs> it's the drinks. It's the tiki drinks. Um, That's your one out of 10 tipsy level. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I just I thought that was kind of beautiful. And, and, and the fact that he treated Lovey as an actual person. It wasn't just like, oh, I love this idea of a person. No, like he really felt that Lovey was a person. And, and when it came to that conversation of, hey, do we want to get you a body kit? And Lovey is like, well, I only want to do this for you. And Jenks is like, well, it's a lot of risk. Is it worth it? I, 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 you know, the fact that they disliked each other the way they are now and it's content the way they are now, that was really pretty. And yeah, I'm getting emotional. Have either of you guys read the Lunar Chronicles? Emma. <laughs> Emma. Wow. Is that, is that a yes, yeah? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because yeah. yes. I got big Ico vibes from Lovey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, you're yeah. right. Especially when they started talking about getting her a body kit. And like, all I could remember was how excited Aiko was for a body and like how she wanted the perfect body. And she was so like, she just wanted to be like a hot human woman. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I was like, if Aiko was a little more chill, this might be her. <laughs> Emma, I saw you reading those books and I was like, welcome to the club. You finally got here. They were so they good. Were so I did good. not expect them to be so good. So good yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. They're one of that's one of my favorite yeah. series. Oh, it's amazing! Yeah. It's so good. Um, well, Emma, I I don't think you saying you're connected, you're connecting to Rosemary. I don't think that's boring. Honestly, I connect to Rosemary probably first because the way she is very much reminds me like she's kind of, in a way, very naive because she mm-hmm. was so sheltered on Mars. And I come from a very sheltered religious family. So I there were parts of her her story where I was like, oh, I I know how that feels to learn this or to see this for the first time because I've been through something similar. Mm-hmm. Um, Jason, like you, I also kind of connected with Corbin sometimes because I too can get very annoyed at certain things. <laughs> um, but I... <sighs> You know what? It's kind of weird, too, related to the religious thing. I want to say I probably connected a little bit to Ohan also. Um, Not necessarily religion, but kind of a religion in what he's Mm -hmm. going through or was going through. Um, Believing in something and then kind of questioning. I think a lot of people go through that. Um, So I I kind of wish we had had more of Ohan in this book. Yeah, same. Um, I wanted to learn more about him and more about the, um, I don't know how to say it, cyanate, cyanate pair. Mm-hmm. Um, that just sounded really fascinating. And I was, I was hoping to learn a little bit more. So I'm, I don't know, maybe there's more in the other books, but um, he was very interesting to me. I, I was very disappointed that we didn't get more of Ohan's story because um, the other characters like, you understand, like, in the future, there might be more to Rosemary, more to Dr. Chef or whoever. But Ohan now is a totally different character. Um, so you can't mm-hmm. get more of who Ohan used to be. 
Yeah, it'll all be like flashbacks of how he used to think. Yeah, so I wanted I wanted to get anything back. I wanted then. to more of the they and what it was like to be them and and like that could have been more helpful as well. Like if we had more of a look at how Ohan operated as a cyanat pair, and if there was more of a look at how the whisperer affected his thought patterns, that may have helped toward the end when things get going. And like the way that you think of what happens to him at the end of the book. And does that change or I don't know. There's things that I think that could have been done there now that you mentioned that. I don't know why I'm talking vaguely when we're going to do spoilers. When he gets the <laughs> cure and, the, and you're like, okay, well, this could be good or bad. But like if you have, like if you knew how much the whisper, like if there was some sort of inclination that the whisperer was changing his thought patterns or forcing him to do or think certain things, then you could accept that ending more easily in the end if you had any difficulty with it to begin with that could have been the author's intent is is leaving you really kind of struggling like is this a good decision or not let's 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 get into this this question then about what happened um so so corbin forces this cure to get rid of the whisperer right that's what it's called yeah, that virus um, that they inject themselves with. So, you know, what was was that right? Was that wrong? How did you guys feel reading that? Does anybody have like a really strong opinion? I have a very strong opinion about this. I no, I tend to play like devil's advocates on both sides. I I see both sides of the argument. I I I think respecting Ohan's wishes, you should not have. Like whether you you agree or not they did not want this you're fundamentally changing who they are um so they shouldn't have done it on the flip side i understand the selfish desire to like yo you're going to die i can save you yes you don't want this but you're going to live and and you are not in the right headspace to make this decision so i'm going to make it for you so i get that argument too um like we were saying if we had got a little more of that backstory of what it was like to be a cyanide pair maybe it have stronger feelings i Emma, feel, i'm just gonna yeah. let you go i feel so strongly that this was wildly fucked up that was so messed i was like and like this was so wrong on every level like to make somebody's end of life choices not just to because like there's a question of like making somebody's end of life choices when you're not sure but when you know for a fact they've basically written their own dnr and you're gonna go against their their medical wishes and then not only to go against their medical wishes but to go against their religious code like i'm not a religious person i don't like i'm just not but like i'm not gonna go against somebody's religious choices when it comes to their death that's so fucked and i think if it had what i had kind of imagined as things were going down in the end so they get sucked into that, the basically the tunnel that's not complete, and they have mm-hmm. to outrun it, and he starts fading. And I was like, okay, I can see where this is going to go. They're going to get to a point where they need him, and he's dying while they actively need him to navigate them out, or they're all going to die, and that's how they're going to use the cure, and they're going to get him to live. Like, okay, whatever. But that's not what happened, because he lives through that, and then Corbin does it anyway, when they no longer have an active need for him. 
that was so messed up. I was furious. Like, I'm glad Ohan lives. That's super great. Clearly, it turned out all right. Um, he seems to be okay with it. Like, I guess he's been forgiven. I'm really, like, I really hope that this is, like, a big plot point in the next book or two. And we actually, like, dive deep into how messed up that was. But he was straight up like, they're not going to fire me because that would mean you have to fire Sissick. Mm-hmm. So I can do whatever I want. Like, fuck your wishes. You're not going to die. That's so messed up. I was mad. I was so mad. I think when I was reading it, I think, you know, it implied he had something in his hand, um, Corbin. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, no. Is that is that the cure? Oh, yeah. I don't think what's I don't know. And then it happened. And I think I actually gasped out loud. And then I I was very kind of kind of very torn in that I, I understand both perspectives too, like Jason. But then I was also thinking in terms of like, you know, this I'm not saying it's a cult type thing, but it also kind of felt like, oh, you're told this is how it works. So you get it, you live and then you die from it. Mm-hmm. So then I was like, well, you know, maybe this thing does change how he thinks. He's been brainwashed maybe since he was a child. Maybe he does need this cure. But then I was like, but I don't know enough about it to know that. So I was like angry, probably just as angry as you. But at the same time, my other side, my other my other thought process was we don't we just don't know enough of what's going on to feel like this is OK or not. <laughs> let, let me ask you this. The fact that Corbin did it, does that make it any more understandable, <sighs> knowing that we've already established that Corbin's an ass? Like, if anybody else had done it, would it be more upsetting? Would it be less upsetting? I think it would have been more understandable if it was anybody else, because anybody else would have been doing that, doing it for themselves. Like, Sissix would have been doing it for herself because she didn't want him to die because she's his friend. Or Ashby would have done it for himself. But like Corbin's just doing it because he thinks it's what everybody else wants. And like, regardless of whether that's true or not, like he was just like, mm, they're all sad and I don't want them to be more sad. So he thinks that it. he's <laughs> he thinks he's helping out the crew and and I feel like it's like a big what emotional they moment for him. Yeah. Like it's the first time that you see him like view himself as part of the crew, and it's like he. You know, he's kind of taking it upon himself to do this thing that nobody else will do. And I feel like that's supposed to be a big moment it's for character him. Growth. It is for him, but it fucks over another character. It's character uh, growth. <laughs> character growth into somehow almost more of an asshole. Oh my god. He I was just very I much an asshole about it. I he's the only one that made sense. It only mm-hmm. made sense for him to do it. He could yeah, get especially after, like, Ashby had that conversation with Sissix where he's talking about, like, cultural differences and how, like, she's not willing to accept that this is a cultural difference the same as anything else. Um, like, I thought that was a really good conversation. I was like, this mm-hmm. is, and, like, it's going to be such a powerful moment for all of them when they have to, like, you know, watch while he dies and, like, stand around and have a funeral for him. And I don't know. And then I, I kind of, once they introduced the cure and then especially once they brought it on board, I was like, okay, so he's not going to die. Like, clearly, somebody's going to use something, whether he decides to or not. Um, But just the way, like, if they had done it just when he was dying during the navigation, I totally could have got that. Like, I would have been okay 
would have been fine. But like you had an imminent need where all of you were going to die if one of you died. So that makes sense. But they waited until after the action and gave me a moral dilemma. Uh, well, I think I think it brings up, you know, it brings up a lot of things for us to think about, you know, in comparison to what happens in the real world. Like you had brought up respecting um, religious views and res- respecting what people want to happen in general when they die or, you know, the do not resuscitate and, and things like that. It's there. I, obviously, there are some gray areas Um but it's still a very important topic to to talk about that very much applies to us. Well, so, like there there are religions where um, I this might be wrong, and I deeply apologize if it is. But I think Jehovah's Witnesses can't have blood transfusions, right? Like that's correct. part of their deeply held religious beliefs. And even when it's something where like something as simple as a blood transfusion could save your life, your doctor can't do it if it's against your deeply held religious beliefs. You are so correct. why did we cure Ohan? <laughs> he's an adult making his own de- their own decisions. My yeah. God, yeah. Although, yeah, I just I'm really curious to see how Ohan continues, and I'm really hoping that it's something that's actively grappled with in the next book, and that it doesn't just kind of move on to like, oh, Ohan's a singular now, Ohan's a solitary, and this is just his story now. Like, I hope there's some sort of fallout from that decision. Um, because by the end of this book, there really wasn't. It was just that, like, some time has passed. Ohan has clearly forgiven him. Ashby was really the only one that was still kind of holding on to that grudge. And then he even says, like, you know, I guess if Ohan can forgive you, I can forgive you. And they all just kind of move on. And so if, like, that continues into book two and there's no real discussion about that incident, I will be upset. I could see that. There, I feel like you're right. There should be something happening even if it's more conversation, um, you know, we, we, sh- we should see something from that. <laughs> I'll be very surprised if we do not meet another Cyanat pair that Ohan talks to mm-hmm. to get that contrast now. of Especially oh, when we meet nice. another resistant pair, because we never got to see like an actively resistant Cyanat pair. So like if they yeah. run into another, like if they run into another ship, and then at that point, I guess Ohan would have to continue to pretend to be paired if they run into other pairs. Because other species might not think anything of it, but if they see another cyanat pair, he probably wouldn't want them to know that he's solitary. Yeah, because he he's supposed to go to that, um, was it a moon or something? Wherever, yeah, wherever they colony. are. He's supposed to go there like it's expected. He says... I am expected to go there, but he doesn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that could be something that comes up in in the future, where um, maybe it becomes an issue of some kind that somebody does see him out as as a solitary. So solitary. we're all looking for some good Ohan content <laughs> from the next books, is <laughs> what I'm hope. hearing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, i I wanted to I wanted to bring up AI. Um, I've mentioned in the past that AI is one of my like favorite things. I love artificial intelligence stories. It's fascinating, um, in, in fiction. And even now, obviously people are still are trying to create real artificial intelligence. And so it's an interesting topic, um, that I thought was done very well in this book. Um, 
The question that seems to come up very often, especially with the ship AI lovey, is is an AI sentient? Um, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that, on on how on how um, Chambers wrote this into this book. Do you think that AI should be considered sentient in this context? I think Lovey comes across very much as sentient, especially when you see the difference between Lovey and Lovelace at the end. Um, but we don't really see anybody else. Like we see a couple other like snippets of an AI here and there. Um, but Lovey's really the only one that we have any interaction with. And she very much is sentient and feels like she feels herself to be sentient. She re- like the fact that like they all they're all gendered, like she refers to herself as a female. She is a female. That's just, you know, who she is. She very much feels sentient. Um, this book has made me very grateful that I always say thank you to Alexa and Siri every time. <laughs> every time Alexa does something, I say thank you. I'm like, all right, when they rise up, I will be fine. I do. I do the same thing. Yes. <laughs> Just be nice. Polite. Be nice to anything that responds to you. <laughs> Jason, what was uh, what? Are, what are your thoughts on the the AI and sentience? I think the way Lovey is presented in this book, she's definitely sentient. Um, there is a emotional maturity to her. I think she, she she is aware that she's an AI and she, you know, she was rebooted and they tell mm-hmm. her that you used to be in love with this with this uh, person. Uh, you've lost, you know, everything that made you you. But now you could, in theory, grow again. It's very much like you're talking to a person. It didn't seem like it was a artificial intelligence trying to approximate a personality. Lovey was a person. Um at least the way Chambers wrote her. Um, so I, I definitely think that the fact that you are aware of what you are plays a big part of acknowledging that you are sentient. So you're thinking philosophically the idea of sentience, the whole I think, therefore I yes. am. You're you're in that vein. Yeah. Look, anybody who can make me cry can have sentience that's anybody who has <laughs> sentience lovey made me cry so you're 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 sentient and you get rights that's that's my bar you emotion you hit me emotionally you've got it <laughs> i um i i enjoy the philosophical stuff with with ai the what what makes something human or sentient um and so i thought it was really interesting in this book um there's there's a section towards the beginning where um, we're seeing things from Jenks' uh, perspective, and he's talking about how there's probably um, you know dozens of versions of Lovelace flying throughout the galaxy and other people's ships. That's just what it is. She's programmed. Um, mm-hmm. She she's programmed to be installed in your ship and then become part of your crew that way. Um, but it says it says here, but they weren't her. The lovey that Jenks knew was uniquely molded by the Wayfarer. Um, and he talks about um, 
Her personality has been shaped by every experience she and the crew had together, every place they'd been, every conversation they'd shared. And honestly, Jenks thought, couldn't the same be said for organic people? Weren't they all born running the basic human starter platform, which was shaped and changed as they went along? I thought that was a really interesting way to put it in that, you know, if if an AI is able to learn and adapt and create their own, um, let's say, personality and are aware that they are who they are and different from others, you know, that I would say is sentience, that that makes them a completely separate person. And I, I just loved the way that this section was, this, this part was written to explain that perspective. It's like taking the, the nature versus nurture argument and applying it to AI. Like mm-hmm. by nature, you are an AI, you're a computer, you're a program, but by nurture, you know, you're your own personality, your own person, which one of those outweighs the other. And I want this to be how this goes so there's a mention um when she's quote-unquote dying devastating section by the way my god um as she's dying and jenks is talking with her and she talks about how she has a directory with all of the conversations they've ever had and then i was thinking they talk about how when they hard reset her you basically have the her programming and then her memory banks and her memory banks is what's corrupted and that's you know what doesn't you know, she has to basically decide when she reboots if she gets those memory banks back or she doesn't. Mm-hmm. And it's not, you know, she becomes comes back as lovely, so she doesn't. But she specifically mentions that database being like, what, 5 slash 303? Is that something that's stored in her memory banks? Or was that something specifically stored in her OS separately because she said she didn't have those for anybody else? And then now that she's in a body kit, is she going to suddenly access those at some point and be back to the person that Jenks knew? I need this to happen. I need you this to You and be- I yes. are on the same wavelength here yes that is exactly what i was thinking because she said it's a completely different named directory Mm -hmm. and so when they said all her memories her memory files were wiped i was like but where's that one (laughs) is she gonna find it is she gonna find it pretty soon it's just gonna take her a little while she's gonna stumble over these files and be like oh what's this (laughs) but i i'm i am really hoping that you know, somehow she finds her way back in some capacity to Jenks. Maybe not, maybe if not just Jenks, at least the crew. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they know she exists. Lovelace exists. Um, so I don't know. Maybe we'll see her come back. I think <laughs> I really all, hope so. Me too. Like there, so there's a lot of like, not a lot. There's a, quite a few interspecies relationships. And like, I was totally cool that like, um, Ashby and Pei, love them. Rosemary and Sussex, shocking, love them. But like the weirdest, the only thing that made me go like, ooh, I don't know about this, was Jenks <laughs> taking off all his clothes and then like sitting in the core. I was like, what are we, do- what Joaquin Phoenix, her shit is going down here. That was the, of everything that happened, that was the most bizarre shit. The like taking <laughs> off your clothes and then sitting in the core and then kissing the metal. okay okay so (laughs) okay so when when the rosemary sussex thing happened i sent jason a message and was like okay i think we're gonna have some really weird conversations about this book (laughs) 
And then later I was like, oh, maybe not. Like we're already seeing an interspecies thing happening. So it's not that weird. But then that happened with Jenks. And then I was like, no, we're going to, we might have some weird topics. (laughs) It was just like, I have nothing against having a relationship, him having a relationship with Lovey. That's fine. Cause we've, we've, I believe agreed that she is sentient. She is Mm -hmm. a person, but it did feel a little weird that he did that <laughs> immediately like as soon as the, you had like the first interactions way early in the book between him and lovey i was like joking to myself i was like oh this is getting real her up in here and then it kept going and i was like oh oh but it is <laughs> oh but it is that is where we're going okay all right jason you're you're very quiet i was i'm there. trying to find my note that i made when there was the first like hint that lovey and jenks had a thing going on and like oh we're gonna get some some like artificial intelligence personal loving. Uh, and so the only note I put like right when like they were talking, I think it was Lovey saying, I like to know what you like. And Jenks said, I like you. And then went on like that. Oh. The note I put was like, oh, I better get some person AI loving. Because <laughs> at that point, what does she have? Like, are there some like mechanical arms somewhere in here? Like how, how weird are we going to get? Yeah. Here? I wanted to see that. Cause like I, the thing about sci-fi I love is you can get real weird. And 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 I wanted to see like is there some weird like haptic chamber that you you sit in that like I mean you plug in like is there this yeah. weird, I, you could go anywhere with this and so I'm like oh these people are a couple oh let's get weird with it I want to see this <laughs> and so it didn't get it didn't get weird enough for me honestly <laughs> I mean, okay that's not fair that I didn't quite think it was gonna play out with sitting there naked and licking the metal but. <laughs> That was that was a little weird, but I'm I'm thinking of um digital get down. Yeah. With, oh yeah. my god. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wait, have you guys this is a separate interspecies relationship. Have you guys seen the shape of water? Yes, mm-hmm. I just saw that. Okay, recently. so you know when the lady she's asking about like she's like how does it work and then she makes like the hand gesture yeah. and I was like as soon as that there's a line when they go to visit Sissix's family and Rosemary mm-hmm. sees two of them banging and she's like and suddenly all my questions about how uh, the males whatever like what their genitalia where it was hidden was answered I was like all I imagined was that scene <laughs> Where she just moves her hand and then like gestures. It's like, oh my god, this is full shape of water. This is full shape of water in here, and I'm here for it. I hope it wins an Oscar. <laughs> you know, I hadn't thought of that scene, but that makes sense. <laughs> like, how many Oscar-winning interspecies relationships do we got going? Not on? enough. We only have so much Not to work enough. with. Exactly. You're right. Maybe, maybe we'll start seeing this more often now. <laughs> Give us the the long way to a small angry planet movie we all deserve. <laughs> that would be amazing, actually. I would definitely watch that. Um, we're gonna shift our gears just a little bit. <laughs> um there was a there was an interesting question that we found on Reddit about this book. Um So I'm just going to read it from here. It says, the idea of faster than light travel is something that comes up pretty regularly in sci-fi. Do you agree with the reasoning behind the ban in this particular universe? Um, The, the, there's a paragraph in the book that says, 
The ban against FTL was one of the oldest laws on the books, predating the founding of the GC. While traveling faster than light was technologically possible, the logistical and social problems caused by what basically amounted to time travel far outweighed the gains. And aside from the administrative nightmare, few people were keen on a method of transportation that guaranteed everyone you knew back home would be long dead by the time you reached your destination. So it was very interesting that they did not include faster than light. Did you guys agree with with this reason? Yes. Yes. I, I love that Chambers actually thought about this. So much sci-fi has faster than light travel. And yeah, the implications are that you would travel a shorter amount of time than anybody else left behind. And so you look at Star Wars, right? And they go through all these freaking hyperspace things and no time passes. Like you just go from planet to planet and it's no big deal. Like that's not the way this would work. And so I love when authors actually think about the science and not just explain it, but be like, yo, this honestly would not make a whole lot of sense for a society to function. Like you couldn't just go to the next planet to come back because 50 years would have passed. So, so the fact that Chambers said, no, FTL doesn't exist in this universe. It's illegal. It was like, oh my God, yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I felt like it was a really smart way to not have to deal with FTL in your universe. Like I, she wrote that sentence and I thought one of two things. I was like, first of all, this is either going to be some Chekhov's gun thing where they say early on that it's like an illegal thing and it's banned and nobody ever does it. And then in act three, we're actually going to break all the rules and do it. And then when they didn't, I was like, oh, that was a super smart way to get around having to deal with FTL in your universe. Like you were just like, I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to worry about it. So it's fucking illegal. Nobody can do it. Boom. Done. Don't have to do it. I was like, that made sense. That was smart. Um, I did not give it quite the credit you did where I was like, <laughs> like fully, like all the implications of it. I was just like, I feel like she just didn't want to have to write FTL. And this was a really easy way to do it. Not that that's a bad thing, because I do think there's a good reason to not want to have to write FTL because there's a lot of stupid implications that come with it that are never thought of. It definitely makes it more technical, too, which is obviously something she didn't really want to have to write in this book um i i kept thinking about how ftl was handled in to sleep in a sea of stars me too because that started to confuse the fuck out of me in that book because they started talking about like i can't remember the term but being able to see into the future Mm -hmm. because of ftl and and all this stuff and then it got like super technical around that and i was like i don't i don't understand what's going on anymore um so i i do i do like the reasoning and how quickly and easily ftl was just written out didn't have to hear about it read about it ever again (laughs) after that i'll be very surprised if it does not come back in the series because the fact that it's illegal does not mean that it doesn't exist yeah, like that would be True. an easier way to see it. Like if it wasn't going to come up at all for any reason, she would have just said they never figured it out. Like after everything, you know, we figured out space travel, we figured out all this and somehow nobody broke that. Um, but the fact that she wrote that it is possible, it is in there and it's just that it's illegal. It's got to be a Chekhov's gun thing where it's going to come back at some point as like a big thing that they're going to have to like have a whole plot point about, you know, are we going to do this? Are we not going to do this? Maybe she needed more time to research it. Maybe. 
because like you said into sleep like it's a huge like it's a huge complicated thing and like he i want to say specifically thanks one or two like physicists that he was constantly consulting mm-hmm. with on the book because he was like i don't understand half of this shit so i had to make sure that it sort of theoretically made sense that's true yeah well i think she i think i think becky chambers made a good decision on on living it out at least for this first novel I think it's part of that's part of the many things that I think go back to like making this a really good starter sci-fi. It's not too heavy in yeah. the actual sciency part. Yeah, no, it's a but good it has point. enough of it. Like, like I said, like mm-hmm. I, I've read enough hard sci-fi that gets real into the weeds with the stuff, and sometimes it's like Ooh, over my head, I don't get it all. But this had enough that it touched upon it. Like, like the author was very clear. It's like I understand this. I'm not going to go into it, but like for you hard core sci-fi nerds, I get it. And and I think the author's background. I think she's. I think I read her bio. Her background. Her family's exactly. background is in space science. Like mm-hmm. they, they grew up with it. She grew up with it. So, she knows her stuff. But she made it accessible, like you said, Emma. Like anybody can pick that up and and go with it. Well, I think we went over a lot of stuff. Obviously, there's a lot more we could talk about. Um, but we we did cover a lot. Um, Obviously, we all liked it, but I want to know what each of you would rate this book, and will you be reading the rest of the series? Emma. Oh, I get to go first. Um, You get to go first. I hate rating things, but I always do because Goodreads is a tyrant and and (laughs) makes us all think that we have to. So I think I gave this a four out of five on Goodreads. My... The way that I rate things, I think it's super subjective for a lot of people. So my ratings on Goodreads always just come down to how much I enjoyed the book. So it's not even necessarily about like, is it the best written book I've ever read? Is it like the worst written book I've ever read? Is it grammatically? It's always just how much I enjoyed it. And then, so if I really enjoyed something like this, it'd be a four star. And then it really takes something like really, really hitting me to make it a five. Like Addie was a five, like. There's a bunch on there, but like it really takes something crazy to do that. Um, so I think I gave this a four. It might even be like a 4.5 out of five just because I really, really enjoyed it. It was a really good time. And I I have to read the, I have to read the rest of them. I have to. <laughs> so I'm going to read the other three main books. I'm kind of iffy on novellas. Like it'll depend on what the novella is about. Um, I'm not really sure. I'm kind of like, eh, take them or leave them most of the time. But I think I definitely will end up reading um, the other, the three main other books in the series. Nice. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Jason? Uh, I pretty much the same. I, I gave it a four out of five. Um, my scale is very similar. A five is basically, I love this book. I couldn't put it down. Like it just hit me and left me wanting more uh a four is i like this book it was a really good book there's nothing really bad with it it just didn't reach that extra level and so i gave it a four and five um and i'm definitely gonna be reading the uh the rest of the series for sure i i am also giving it a four out of five um I did really enjoy it. I I think that I went into it expecting a little more action. Same. So I'm hoping to get a little bit more in the following books. Um, but I did really enjoy it because I, I am a very big, very huge fan of Firefly um, and just kind of that crew family space adventure kind of 
thing. So I, I did very much enjoy it. And I will be reading the rest of the series after I read a couple of other books first. <laughs> um, so we, we all rated it four. It looks like on Goodreads, it has an average of 4.15. So kind of online on the same on the same wavelength as everybody else who's rated it. Most people. And that's out of a lot of people. Um, over 86,000, almost 87,000 ratings. That's a lot. Not bad for a Kickstarter <laughs> came book. Out in, yeah, he says this came out in 2014? <laughs> Uh, yes, 2014. Nice. So I would say I recommend this book to other people just based on ratings. Um, who would you say we, we, we would recommend this to? I, I would say probably people who enjoy the, the personal character driven stories, um, specifically in sci-fi, since that is a very rare thing to, to find. Yeah, I think that covers it. I think anybody who enjoys character-driven, um, I think that's a big caveat to probably give when you're recommending this book to people is that it's much more character-driven than plot-driven because um, that is a turnoff for some people. Uh, obviously, all of us enjoyed it a lot, um, but I know that some people will be like weird about that. Um, so I think anybody who really likes character-driven, um, the whole space opera genre and then anybody who like likes sci-fi, but even because it's so accessible, anybody who wants to just get into sci-fi. Did we cover that, Jason? That was it. And if you want to see some interspecies relationships. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. If you like interspecies if relationships, thing, then, hey. you might like this. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I mentioned this is very much like sci-fi. This is very much like Firefly. So if you liked this book, I recommend also reading or even watching anything Firefly slash Serenity, um, because it's very much like this, um, just without aliens. <laughs> um, I would also recommend... An, Wait, Firefly newer... doesn't have aliens? No. Well, then why the fuck is it a space show? It's a space there western. there are no aliens. It's a space western. Yeah, boring. Next. No, I hate oh, it. Yeah, no. no, I hate it. <laughs> no. <laughs> What's even the point? No. Why are you in space you if there are no aliens? just watch it and read it. <laughs> no aliens, my ass. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we would have gotten species, them. What is the point? Wow. Well, I if they would have had an alien, they would have got a second season. Maybe it would have got. Maybe we would have got aliens if it got a second season. Hmm. Chicken or the egg? <laughs> um, I wanted to say. Well, actually. We've mentioned it already, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars. Um, I would also recommend that if you like sci-fi, um, misfit crew kind of thing, um, To Sleep in a Sea of Stars by Christopher Paolini. Um, it's also a first contact um, space adventure, which is pretty cool. Um, but probably with the caveat that that book is way more technical. It is. Way more hard sci-fi um that's whenever i recommend it to people i always like that's the number one thing i'm like this is really good it's really amazing it's very heavy in the technical aspects so if you like that if you're super into that then you're gonna love it it's also a little long it's but it's long. a really great story it is the second longest <laughs> book on my shelf are there aliens <laughs> yes i'm in perfect <laughs> and there is technically 
interspecies coupling, depending on your definition of coupling. Kind of. If you stretch that definition, they are technically coupled. Good point. Good point. (laughs) Um, I also wanted to recommend, uh, it's a newer, a newer, um, I don't know if it's going to be a trilogy. I know it's a duology so far. Uh, The Last Watch by J.S. Duess. Um, I just read that. It's kind of like a misfit military crew that is trying to save the universe from basically collapsing on itself. Um, And then the second book is The Exiled Fleet, which is coming out later this year, um, 2021. Um, Did you guys have any any recommendations for something similar? Yeah, the two books came to mind right away. Um, The first one is actually a series. It's called The Long Earth Series by Terry Pratchett and Stephen Baxter. Um, The premise of the series is that the discovery of parallel earths is made people are able to travel to parallel earths Um, it's a very character driven science sociology driven story so it's not very action heavy so it's very similar to this one where there's not a whole lot of action to it it just follows people on their journeys and discovers the science and the implications of all that. Um, it's very, very good. I think there's about four or five books to that. Um, and then the other one that I really, really recommend is, um, and this goes back to the FTL discussion we had, is Tau Zero by uh, Paul Anderson. Um, it's about a, a spacecraft that's already traveling close to the speed of light. Um, and then the ship's deceleration system is damaged so they can't slow down and they can only keep going faster and faster until eventually they hit the speed of light and it deals with what that is like because now time has gone away from them outside of the ship so it really deals with that kind of like the difference in time between the uh what's it called ship time and space time uh, it's very hard science. Um, it's very quick read, uh, but it's kind of a heavy read. Uh, but I highly recommend it. That sounds really interesting. Might have to add that to my list. You should. <laughs> Emma's over there, like, oh, well, I don't know. <laughs> no, it sounds. I was. Just, I was thinking. I was like, I don't really have a lot of recommendations that are like this because I don't read a lot of sci-fi. So my only sci-fi recommendations tend to be to sleep in a sea of stars and more recently, Lunar Chronicles. Those are like the only sci-fi books that I have on my shelf right now. <laughs> I'm working on it. I'm working That's on okay. it. That's okay. We got you to read this, so maybe maybe we'll find something else you like. If anybody sci-fi. knows about elves and dwarves in space, ooh, hit me up. Ooh, oh, also Winter's Orbit. If you're looking for character-driven sci-fi that's more about the characters than it is about the sci-fi, Winter's Orbit is a really amazing queer sci-fi romance that I love. I'm actually just about to buy that. It's so good. <laughs> it's right there behind my porg on my shelf, <laughs> which is a great image for the audio podcast that cannot see what I'm pointing to. <laughs> well, that's cool. I, I, I hadn't thought of that one Um but I'm excited then because I'll be reading that soon. It's so good. I love it so much. <laughs> okay. Well, um, if that is the last of our recommendations, I guess we'll we'll call this then. Um, 
Emma, we're we're thankful that you were able to join us for yeah, this episode. Yeah, thanks for being Thank here. Thank you for inviting me. I feel so included. <laughs> <laughs> um, where where would you like people to find you? Oh, um, so I tend to be most active on Twitch. You can find me at twitch.tv slash MSGuys, where I play a lot more sci-fi than I read. Um, <laughs> so you'll find me there. I tend to be live Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. You can find me on Instagram at MSGuys. At what point do I stop saying I'm a cosplayer? Because I have not made anything <laughs> in a year. COVID did a number on my creative motivation. Everybody took a break from cosplay <laughs> for a year. So, I mean, you can still say you're a cosplayer. <laughs> well, you can find my quote-unquote cosplay at uh, Emma Skies on Instagram. I have a secondary Instagram at Biblioskies, which is where I talk about books, and uh, Twitter at Emma Skies. Woohoo! All right. And as always, if you want to join the discussion for this book or any other book that we've read, you can do so on our social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook by searching shit we've read. And then, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to find me and Jason, you can check out our website at shitweread.com. Well, I, I think that's it. Jason, did you have anything to add? No, I just wanted to say thanks again to Emma for for joining us. It was a lot of fun having you yeah, here. And- yeah. And having you discuss this book, uh, thanks for your insights and your opinions. And um, I always have a lot of those. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully you join us again sometime. And if you do, you can pick the book. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> special, special episode. Look, you do not want me picking a book because I've just discovered the that bully romance is a genre. <laughs> and I... <laughs> cannot stop looking these up. I almost refuse to read them, but I can't stop looking them up. And I swear to God, I will make somebody read it. Look, we're a fantasy sci-fi show. If you could find a fantasy or sci-fi version. Oh, God. I There's guess so many. We, we can say no. No. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll, we'll discuss it. Shit, we read And I am suddenly never going to be invited back. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again, Emma. And thanks, Jason. Um, We're going to close up here and um, we'll see everybody next month. Bye. 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 This episode of Shit We've Read has been an Oblivion Geeks production hosted by Laura Benson and Jason Rico with music by Joshua Chilton. To join the discussion on this and all other books we've read, find us at Shit We've Read on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. For episode transcripts and more information about us, please visit shitweavered.com. This podcast is part of the Bilo Network. Visit bilonetwork.com for more great geeky podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. (laughs) 